Pie in the Sky Media. This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. I believe that you have been very deceived by Satan. I believe that he has tricked you. And I just, I don't believe that what you're doing is correct. I just don't, I mean, Tammy dies and then your husband died and then then he's missing. It just doesn't sound like God's plan to me. You know me, Mel. You know me. I'm Carolyn Osorio, and this is my new podcast, The Murder Chronicles. You're listening to episode 44, The Heart of Darkness. I was able to recognize that little, same little boy lying on the table to be J.J. Vallow. Uh, He had the same haircut. It was short on the sides, long brown hair on the top. So he was, I recognized him as J.J. Eventually, we uncovered bits and pieces of Tylee, who we assumed was Tylee, that had been burned. Uh, There were pieces of bone, like I said, charred charred flesh. That's Rexburg Police Detective Rex Hermosillo, describing undoubtedly the worst day of his career, when they found 7-year-old Joshua, or JJ, and 16-year-old Tylee, the children of Lori Vallow Daybell, who in 2019 was dubbed the Doomsday Mom. As her alleged deeds unfolded in the public eye, she quickly became the most hated woman in America when she wouldn't answer the question, Lori, where are your children? But instead, silently, wore a smug mask with just a hint of a smirk. Where are your children? Now, why don't you just give us a comment? Just tell us where they are. Chad, where are Lori's kids? What happened to Tammy, Chad? Can you tell us what happened to Tammy? Why have you guys been in Hawaii for so long? Listen, just tell people what's happening. There's people around the country praying for your children, praying for you guys. Why don't you give us answers? That's great. That's great. That's great that they're praying for you, praying for your kids, what? You have nothing to say? Did you do something to your children? Are your children still alive? That's a simple question. I've got three kids of my own. I can tell you every minute where my kids are at. Where are your children? That's Nate Eden from East Idaho News, expressing his frustration that this mother, soaking up the sun in Hawaii, won't answer what appears to most people a most basic and simple question. Where are your children? Eventually, we would find out why, and the answer was so much worse than what anyone could have ever imagined. J.J. and Tylee, who'd been missing for months, and tragically, horribly, their remains would be recovered from shallow graves from her new husband, Chad Daybell's property, in June of 2020, nine months after they'd gone missing. Lori and Chad would both be charged with the murders of her children, and additionally, Chad would be charged with murdering his former wife, Tammy Daybell, and Lori would also be charged in that crime as a co-conspirator. Lori's trial was recently adjudicated, and I reached out to Rexburg police for an interview, but they responded by saying that they weren't able to discuss the cases until after Chad Daybell's trial, which isn't expected to begin until 2024. So in this episode, you'll hear audio from Lori's trial. But before we get to the outcome, let's go back to the beginning, before this seemingly average soccer mom began to believe that she and Chad Daybell had been chosen to lead 144,000 people through the coming apocalypse, and that they had been bestowed with a vision to see darkness in people. And if she and Chad Daybell divined a dark spirit within you, well, it was only a matter of time before you would become a zombie. He said, you're not Charles. I don't know who you are, what you did with Charles, but I can murder you now with my powers. But let's go back in time to 2004, when on the surface, it appeared that Lori's world was fueled by the love of her two children, her son Colby from a previous marriage, and her daughter Tylee with her then-husband, Joseph Ryan. 
Her marriage to Joseph was her third, and at the time, they were all living together in Texas, where Lori competed in the Mrs. Texas beauty pageant. They had two children, ages eight and one year old. She was just recently on the Wheel of Fortune and won over $17,000. In that footage, Lori can be seen strutting around, all smiles in a bikini, and later, in a full-length evening dress. Lori didn't win the competition, which was just as well, because by 2005, she was no longer Mrs. Ryan, nor was she living in Texas. In 2006, Lori would marry her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. Everything was perfect. Charles was a supportive husband and a great provider. He owned his own financial planning company, and the couple lived together in Arizona. But there was an issue. Charles wasn't Mormon, which was a big deal to Lori, who was very involved as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. So Charles would convert to the LDS religion. In 2014, Charles and Lori would adopt a little boy named Joshua, or JJ. JJ was the biological grandson of Charles's sister, Kay Woodcock, and her husband, Larry. According to the family, JJ had autism and his biological parents weren't in a position to care for him. So Lori and Charles offered to adopt JJ when he was a toddler. But the Woodcock family had one condition which was that they would remain a part of JJ's life. Not long after the adoption, the Vallow family would move to Hawaii. Over the next few years, Kay and Larry Woodcock, JJ's grandparents, would maintain a really special relationship with JJ over the phone and through FaceTime. And during these years, Tylee and JJ became very close. Tylee was a wonderful sister to her little brother, JJ, and very protective. In 2017, the Vallow family moved again back to Arizona. When Lori came back, she would attend an event at a church in Mesa. There, she would meet a woman named Melanie Gibb in October of 2018. Melanie and Lori became fast friends. Together, they would attend a religious conference in Utah, where Lori would meet a man named Chad Daybell in late October of 2018. Chad had been married to a school librarian named Tammy since 1990. They had five children. Chad, too, had deep roots in the LDS religion. But those beliefs had metastasized into a darkness that was evident in the many heavily religious and doomsday post-apocalyptic books about end times that he would write and publish. Now, at this conference, Lori's new friend Melanie had a front row seat to Chad and Lori's conversations that weekend. Here's Melanie in an interview with Nate Eaton. He was selling his books and speaking, and so that's when they got to meet. And was there anything unusual or magical or different about when they met? So we were there for two or three days, and I think he was there for two days. And she talked to him a lot um, about his books, and so she asked a lot of questions. And she was very interested in what he thought, and she was interested in what she, he knew, she knew. And so they just started talking about these different beliefs that generally are not something you learn in church. Melanie would go on to describe Lori's engagement that weekend with Chad as intense, as they discussed their end times infused religious beliefs. Here's Melanie testifying at Lori's trial. Were you able to observe Lori and Chad together throughout the time that they were both there? Yes. And what, if any, observations did you make of their interactions? Uh, they were very friendly to each other, uh, very interactive, talking a lot um, about some of their ideas and beliefs that they had at that time. And so they were, um, I don't know, there was, a, there was a, a definitely attraction in the beginning, right from the beginning. So, And did you specifically observe any of Lori's actions towards Chad or how her demeanor appeared? Um, she seemed very um, interested in him, um, like someone that would meet somebody they, they're attracted to. Um, um, she seemed flattered by him um, and very enticed by the conversation and, you know, flirty-like. I would say a little flirty-like as well. And do you know what Chad Daybell did for a living? Um, he was an author and a publisher and also a sexton. After that whirlwind weekend, Lori shared that she and Chad had an intense connection. She shared with me that he told her 
that they had been married in another time period. And did she tell you what she believed with regard to that? She did believe that. Melanie would explain that Lori had become madly infatuated with Chad, who claimed to have spiritual gifts beyond those of a regular person, that he had the ability to walk between the veil of life and death. The veil in Christianity is considered the neutral point between life and death, and having the ability to see through it meant that Chad could walk between both worlds. And what was your understanding of what Lori and Chad believed regarding multiple probations? Um, Their definitions changed the longer they knew each other, but in the beginning it was um, believed that in this earth you could come back multiple times, so you may live in you know, certain earlier time in the world and then several times, depending on you as a person. It would be different for everybody. Soon after they met, Chad would share with Lori that even though they were both married, it was okay to have infatuated love with each other because Jesus knew it was their mission to be the head of the 144,000 people that would survive the apocalypse Chad had this this influence on people because he had visionary experience. You know, he could see things. At least he said, you know, he portrays that he did. And and uh, but I I do believe that um, when you think somebody can see things or have visionary experiences about things, you tend to kind of believe them more than the average person. Because you know, if you ask me, I'd say I don't see anything. So you wouldn't take my my point of view or my opinion. But if you had somebody that was really good at having visionary, because he often said that it was like the veil was open when he had his near-death experiences. So he often said that veil is open all the time. So he had this way of seeing things that Lori and I didn't have that, that we didn't have that gift of seeing. But I do have come to understand that that gift has been manipulated by the adversary. And so... By Satan. Absolutely. It would be an understatement to say that Lori's new relationship with Chad was throwing a wrench into her marriage with Charles. Melanie observed that there was a budding sexual tension and fervent religious fanaticism that created a dark bond between Lori and Chad. It wasn't a surprise when just a couple weeks later, Chad would touch down in Arizona for another religious conference when Charles just happened to be out of town. So your understanding was Chad stayed at Lori's house in Arizona? That's right. Do you know if Charles was present during that? I believe he was out of town. Do you know if Charles and Lori were still married at that point? They were. Do you know if Chad was still married at that point? Yes, he was. That weekend, Lori would confide to Melanie that she and Chad had been sealed together by Jesus Christ and Moroni in the LDS temple. Now, according to the Book of Mormon, Moroni was a prophet who appeared to Joseph Smith to inform him that he had been chosen to restore God's church on earth. Yes, that weekend that he came to Arizona, that um, they met in the temple together, and they were somewhere in there, like in just like maybe a waiting area room, that they were sealed together by, I, I believe Moroni was there, and possibly, I believe she said Jesus Christ, and that they... That, that relationship they had, multiple lives, it was kind of like a reunited, again, they got to be sealed there. It wasn't in a, a sealing room officially done by the church or anything like that. And can you explain a little bit about the relevance of being sealed? The teachings of our church talk about when you're sealed to a companion on this earth, that you are for them, you are sealed for time and all eternity. And when you say the teachings of our church, are you comfortable sharing what church you're a member of? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Lori's actual husband, Charles, had no idea his marriage was on a collision course, that his wife's intense emotional affair that had begun just weeks earlier had now been consummated, not just physically, but according to them, they'd been spiritually reunited in this life as the chosen people to lead the 144,000 through the coming apocalypse. Did Lori ever indicate anything about having a special mission here on Earth? Yes. And what did she tell you about that? She felt that she was um, part of the 144,000. And then as she developed her relationship with Chad, she felt like they were the head leaders of it. And when you talk about the 144,000, can you explain a little bit about what that would mean? Um, It's referenced from scripture and the Bible and and the Doctrine and Covenants about uh, a group of 144,000 that would be here 
during the return of our Savior, and they would help do a great mission of missionary work throughout the world. And they would have, you know, a lot of um, a spiritual endowment from on high. So, if someone were to be the head of that hundred and forty-four thousand, would that be a pretty high calling? Absolutely. Would that be a position of pretty significant, pretty significant power? Yes. But Charles didn't know this. He had no idea just how far his wife would be willing to go to make that a reality, and how Charles had become an obstacle to those grand plans, that in fact, he was a zombie taken over by an evil spirit. It was probably, you know, that January time of 2019, and she first started telling me she was in the backyard of her house. She came in and she started sharing all the information she just heard from Chad. Chad let her know that Charles Vallow was um, taken over by an evil spirit. And that was the first time she had heard of it. And, and then, you know, that made him dark, according to them. Ned Schneider was the name that Chad had given to one of the demons possessing Charles. Do you recall if Lori ever used the term zombie? Yes. Do you recall approximately when she used that term? It wasn't in the beginning, but I would say weeks, weeks after the original idea that someone taken over the body, they just started calling, using that terminology. Uh, I would just say weeks after that. So three months after Lori and Chad had first met at that religious conference in Utah, Lori would drop a bombshell on Charles. She explained to him that she was a god who'd been called to carry out the work of the 144,000 chosen at the second coming of Christ, and that if he got in the way of that mission, not only would she ruin him financially, but she'd kill him. It's not hard to imagine Charles's shock at what he was hearing, but the reality was he had a scheduled business trip the next day to Texas. It was just a one-day trip. And though he was upset about his imploding marriage and the state of his wife's mental health, he had to work. So he flies to Houston, and a day later he's at the Texas airport again, and he's ready to get on his flight home. At the airport there, he finds out that his ticket has been canceled by Lori. If he wants to get home, his only option is to buy a premium ticket, which he does. He flies home back to Arizona, and when he gets there, he makes a beeline for his vehicle in the parking lot. And when he gets there, his truck is gone. Apparently, Lori, using her spare key, took it. Lori had also visited the police station with her daughter, Tylee, where she would report that her husband, Charles, had stolen her purse. Here's body cam footage from that interview. So my friend told me, my friend, that's a police officer, he said, go file a report, file a restraining order, all that stuff. I don't want to do all that stuff. I just wanted to be on record, and if you can get the purse back, that would be lovely, because all my stuff is in there. I'm really mad about my lip gloss. <laughs> what about <laughs> credit cards? Uh, well, he has all the cards in the office. Yeah. But he's mad because I took the money out of our account. It's a joint account, so he wants me to give him money. Okay, well, that's all a civil issue? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, purse? There's no reason why he's walking around with your purse, your ID. That he doesn't have a right to. Right. Married that's or not married. All the rest of the stuff is our joint stuff together. When Charles got back into town, he realized He'd been locked out of his house, and believing that Lori was now capable of anything, he called the police and made a complaint against his wife, who had threatened his life. This action would trigger an order for Lori to be picked up by police to undergo a mental health evaluation. The night that Charles had returned from his business trip, he would meet police in front of the house that he shared with Lori. This conversation was captured by body cam. So what's going on tonight? I can't get in touch with my kids. How old are your kids? Six and a half and 16. Okay. How long have you been trying? <sighs> Two days. Okay. But she lost her mind. Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it. We're LDS. She thinks she's a resurrected being and a, and a, a God and member of the 144,000. She's come. Jesus is coming next year. She took all the money out of her bank account today. My truck is gone from the airport. She went to the airport and got it. I just flew in from Houston and sent out. So, uh, so where's your truck? I don't know. Okay. I a friend of mine's truck. I picked me up. I went to the CSI to file a report, uh, which is the community bridges or something, to file a report. So you did, you, did, you did the petition? Yeah, they ordered a pickup. Okay. What time did you do, do that? An hour and a half ago. So what makes her a danger to herself and she to others? She threatened me, murder me, kill me. She threatened to murder you? Yes, and she 
she said, How did she do that? My, my bishop right there is in the car. He was on the phone with me today when she said, I will have you destroyed. Yesterday was a threat to kill me. Okay. What, did, what did she say yesterday? She said, you're not Charles. I don't know who you are, what you did with Charles, but I can murder you now with my powers. Right. She says, you're gonna, I'm going to kill you too. I'm going to uh, yesterday. Was, I'm so gonna she's speaking you. as a spiritual being. She's not here. She's okay. lost her reality. It's gotten really, really bad lately. She goes to the temple every day and speaks with Moroni and Jesus Christ. And they tell her what to do. And now she came to her today. And last couple of days, she says, I'm not Charles. Uh, you're not Charles. You're Nick Schneider. I don't know where she gets his names from. She got all this stuff from these people in Utah who uh, tell her how many past lives she's had and, and, and probation she's had. And she's a... Uh, uh, was married to Moroni back way back when and she was also married to James the Just and uh okay uh, this is all foreign to me so <laughs> it's just it's foreign to me well I'm not it's LDS crazy, it's crazy stuff I know you're using it's, LDS terms here I, I know, but it's just it's okay. just she's she's nonsensical Charles made it clear to police that he didn't feel safe breaking into his own home because Lori had stolen his keys and he had no idea what she was capable of can I break into my house do you live here? Yes, I do. Okay. Police. I'm do you, police. Do you guys have any orders of protections against you? No, we do not. So no, we no police reports? Tomorrow. No, nothing. Okay. Today, you don't even know if she's here, right? Today on the phone. I can't. All the cars are because the garage is closed. I don't know. She locked the garage door. I, I know. haven't been up there yet. She said to me, Charles' okay. stuff is gone. Okay. You're not Charles. Your stuff is gone. I don't know what that and means. And how long have you been trying to get in touch with the kids? Since yesterday. Since yesterday. Why did you leave? Uh, business trip and usually cancel my flight. She came to the airport, took my truck. Um, Did she tell you that? No, it's. I, she knows the code. She knows where it's parked. She went. Did she go with you to the airport? No, but she's been. I go to the airport. I fly 45 round trips a year. She okay. knows where I park. I've got handicap plates because JJ's handicap. Uh-huh. And she has the keys, the code. It's a Ford. The code door code. Door code. And um, I just want to see my boys okay. And she's got a pickup order. I need to go. She needs to go, and I'm going to take my stuff. So you normally live here? Yeah, oh, yeah, I live here. Okay. Yeah. All my stuff's in my house. So let me ask you this. When you came back, why didn't you just go to the home? Because she told me not to come near it. All my stuff is gone. Okay. I'm not stupid. She could have done anything. Okay. I thought this would be the best way to do it. With what she's gone through and what Gabe witnessed with me on the phone today, I thought it was best to have her. She's psychologically... She's gone. Something's happened to her. His friend, who was also his bishop at the church, would also speak to police about the situation. His wife, uh, she had been getting into some religious things that troubled him. The relationship was a bit odd at, in the last few months, and it kind of all came to a head when he went out of town. Um, he, he had me listen to a conversation that he had with her where she was making some strange statements. Uh, she did use the word destroy. Uh, she said, I will destroy you. Uh, she seemed coherent, but her statements were, were um, strangely irrational. He said, hey, I, I just want to see the kids. And she said something to the effect of, um, well, you want the kids, I'll give them to you, which I thought was a bit strange for mom to say. Yeah. At the time of Charles's conversation with this officer, there was already an order to pick up Lori Vallow for a mental health evaluation based on Charles's complaint to the police. I love her to death. This is killing the officer. Oh, I can understand. I, I, our 13th anniversary is next month. We've done out a great marriage. All of a sudden, the last month, it just blew up. Mm-hmm. She just lost connection. Has she made any statements about wanting to hurt the children or anything? Today, she said, with Gabe on the phone, come take the kids. I don't care what happens to them. Come take them. Okay, but she didn't make a direct threat towards the kids. No, not a direct threat. And then... She said that she would murder you through a spiritual... No, she said, I can murder you. I can murder you. And, and she's talking in a spirit. I will kill you. Spiritual. No, she talks in physically. I will kill you because you're not Charles, and nobody will care. Okay. So she, she at this point, doesn't think you are her husband? She thinks I'm Mick Schneider. Who's Mick Schneider? I have no idea. Okay. It's the name she used. I don't know where it came from. Okay. I just, I'm just like, I'm as bewildered as you are. This is so foreign to me normal people as far as I'm concerned, but, you know, uh, this happens, it just drives me, I don't know what to do. I need help, and she needs help. She needs help. And go to bed, 
I got a lot of stuff to do tomorrow. I got to take my son. And to you just didn't him. want to go inside because of the statements that. that she, she made. She took my car and my. She, I suspect she took my car and my keys. I have no keys to get in. Oh, okay. No garage door opener. Okay. She knows what she's doing. She took thirty-five thousand out of our bank account today. I can't make payroll Friday for my company. It's just it's it's she changed our bank account numbers. I had to change it myself to get back in, and I saw all the money's gone. Okay. At some point, Lori would drive herself to the hospital with her friend Melanie and undergo that mental health evaluation. According to Melanie, Lori was given a clean bill of mental health. It appears that the domestic dispute between Lori and Charles had ultimately become a he said, she said situation. In a follow-up report, an officer would write, quote, During my conversation with Charles, I found his demeanor to be strange for a person in his circumstances. He seemed more concerned with asking questions about the legality of financial withdrawals Lori had made than her alleged incoherence. Of course, Charles was concerned about finances. Lori had liquidated their joint bank account of more than $30,000, which meant that Charles couldn't make payroll. But the concerns he voiced about the safety of their kids would take on a haunting reality. So how does she pose a threat to your children? I don't know what she's going to do with them. I don't know if she's going to flee with them. She's going to hurt them. After this catastrophic event in his marriage, Charles had had enough and would file for divorce in February of 2019. Charles would also change the beneficiary of his million-dollar life insurance policy from Lori to his sister. Here's Kay Woodcock. In February of 2019, he approached me and said he wanted to name me the beneficiary. It was a million-dollar policy. And he wanted to name me beneficiary uh, and take Lori off. Okay. Uh, Did you ask him to name you as the beneficiary? No. Okay. Uh, During that conversation, did you commit to doing anything with that life insurance policy money if you were the beneficiary? Yes. Uh, What did you commit to do with that money? To finish raising to finish raising JJ because Lori didn't want him anymore. And did you commit to doing anything else with that money? Um, yes. Uh, he had asked me to uh, give half of it to his two adult sons. Meantime, Lori takes off, leaving JJ with Charles. It was later determined that she went back to Hawaii, but Charles didn't know where she was, and so he couldn't serve her divorce papers. And by the time Lori resurfaces, Charles has had a change of heart and dismisses all the divorce proceedings. He would tell his sister that he wanted to make his marriage with Lori work. Interesting, though. Even though Charles essentially ripped up the divorce papers, he didn't change the beneficiary of his life insurance back to Lori. So, while Charles is earnestly trying to make it work with Lori, she's still having an affair with Chad, obsessively talking throughout the day on the phone, In fact, Lori had a separate cell phone solely dedicated to these conversations. They would meet at hotels, and according to Melanie, Lori justified these intimacies because, according to God's will, they had been married in multiple lives, and they had a mission together. Obviously, Charles didn't see the infidelity that way. He was fed up, and in early July, he told Lori that he was going to Idaho to speak with Chad's wife, Tammy, about their torrid affair. How could he have imagined that Alex, Lori's brother, believed that Charles was a zombie. He, too, was part of the 144,000 chosen people, and he was Lori's warrior. Unfortunately, Charles never had a chance to have that conversation with Tammy, because on July 11, 2019, Lori's brother Alex would shoot and kill Charles when he showed up at Lori's house in Arizona to pick up JJ. After shooting Charles... Alex would make a call to 911. And is he hurt or is he alive? Or? Yeah, there's blood. He's, he's not moving. I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. He came at me with a bat. In the body cam footage, you can see police officers cruise up to the home and immediately assume a tactical position. Their guns are drawn as they call out for Alex to come out of the house, which he does. Come out this way, man. You know, no weapons? No weapons on me. All right, come on out this way. I'm going to have you have a seat right here on the curb. Yeah, who else is in the house? No one else is in the house. Okay, just have a seat right there. Let's get FD in here. Yeah. Have a seat. 18, seat secure. We got the gentleman out. Uh, have fire rolling. 
Alex sits on the curb and relays his side of the story to the officer. What happened today? How did it get to this? I know, he was enraged. What's going on? What happened? He was talking about my sister earlier. No, what happened today, though? Like, just in the last 20 just, minutes? He came, to, he came at me with a bat. What was he accusing you of? Uh, he was just yelling at me. I just went back to the living room. I'm like, what is your problem? With the gun again? Yes. And I said, I want you to put that bat down. He wouldn't do it. And, he's like, and he came at me with the bat again. After he already hit me in the head. So I shot him to stop him. Okay, then what happened? After the shooting, Lori would drive up to her house with Tylee. She gets out of her car and she speaks with police. It's definitely an odd conversation. Does your husband live here or no? No, oh. in Gotcha. We just moved in here. Gotcha. How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. That's why the neighbors don't know us. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> like, hi, neighbor, sorry. Are you working at all? Uh, no. Okay. And uh, you're still about five, six, mm-hmm. one, twenty. After listening to Alex tell his story and then Lori and Tylee's, an officer at the scene would describe to his colleagues what he believes happened. Wife, husband got into a verbal argument. Brother steps in, says, just get out. At some point, the niece grabs the bat and is poking her dad. Dad takes the bat away. They decide to leave. Everyone leaves. Uh, there's a son, too, a younger son. Her son, he's not here either. So wife who lives here, her daughter, her son, they all leave. Her brother staying here, visiting, and the husband. They get into it. He's like, just, he got, he says they got into an argument. Husband hit him in the head with a bat. Brother, brother says, that goes to his room, grabs his gun, his own gun, goes back out, doesn't stay in the room, doesn't lock the door, doesn't call us, but goes back out, confronts him, says, drop the bat. Guy just dropped the bat. He says he shoots him. Goes back into his room, puts his gun away, grabs his phone, cleans his head up, calls 911. Alex Cox would not be charged for killing Charles. Police concluded at the time that Alex had shot Charles in self-defense. Lori would become enraged a short time later when she found out that she was no longer the beneficiary of Charles's million-dollar life insurance policy. Here's Kay Woodcock. After Charles's death, did you receive uh, the benefit of that life insurance policy? Yes, it, it was unexpected because I... I never knew, I never followed up with Charles to see if he had changed me to his beneficiary. Um, but yes, I did, or with, probably within a week of his death. Okay. Um, and how did you find out about that? The insurance company called me. Okay. Did Lori Vallow ever contact you about the life insurance policy? Yes. Lori believed that money belonged to her, and she was angry at Kay for accepting the money. And Lori's anger toward Kay affected her relationship with JJ. She had agreed that J.J. could attend the memorial service. Okay, and did you have a plan for picking him up and the logistics of that? <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, I bought plane tickets for me to go to Phoenix and pick him up, get him from her, and to fly back to Lake Charles and attend his memorial service, his dad's memorial service. And we were going to have him for a week, and then I was going to fly back to Phoenix with him and give him to Lori and then, then fly home. Okay. Uh, did J.J. end up attending his father's memorial service? No, he wasn't allowed to. Okay, and did you speak with Lori about that? She, again, she wouldn't answer any of my, any time I tried to reach out, she wouldn't answer me. Kay would receive a nasty text from Lori regarding Charles naming her as his beneficiary. Lori would write, quote, five kids and no money, and his sister gets everything. This text message would be the last time that Kay heard from Lori. In early September, Lori, her brother Alex, Tylee, and JJ moved to Rexburg, Idaho. That's where Chad and his wife Tammy Daybell lived. According to Melanie, Lori was conflicted about the move because Tammy hadn't died yet, as had been predicted by Chad, who had told Lori that Tammy was supposed to die in a car crash. It was during this time that Melanie had heard Lori and Chad say that they wanted to, quote, get rid of all the zombies before the tribulations. By then, like Charles, Tylee had become a zombie too. Were you ever told, with regard to Tylee being dark, did Lori ever tell you whether or not an evil spirit had entered Tylee? Yes. Do you recall approximately when that would have been? Probably like in May or April. That's what it feels like. That's what it was. 
On September 8th, 2019, Lori, Tylee, JJ, and Alex would take a trip to Yellowstone National Park. A photo was taken of Tylee holding JJ in her arms, with Alex smiling in the photo too. Here's Detective Rex Hermosillo going over the sequence of events after Charles was killed. July 11th, 2019 is the day that Charles Vallo dies. September 2nd or 3rd, uh, Lori, Alex, Tylee and JJ moved to Rexburg, Idaho. Last known proof of life for Tylee Ryan was September 8th, 2019. It's believed that not long after that photo was taken of Tylee holding her precious brother JJ, that Tylee went missing, although no missing persons report was ever filed by her mother, Lori. Later, investigators would pore over Alex's phone records, and on September 9th, the day after the last proof-of-life photo was taken of Tylee, Alex's phone was on Chad Daybell's property in Rexburg, Idaho that night. And earlier that day, Chad's phone records revealed that he had texted his wife Tammy, telling her that he'd shot a raccoon and then buried it on their property in a place that their family referred to as their pet cemetery. Chad added that he'd encountered the raccoon when he was burning tree limbs in the fire pit. You'll want to remember that detail. But a little over a week later, on September 22nd, Melanie would visit Lori at her home in Idaho, and she asked where Tylee was. Lori would explain that Tylee was away at school at Brigham Young University. During that visit, Melanie would stay overnight with her boyfriend David, and Lori would confide to Melanie that she believed that J.J. had an evil spirit in him, that he was a zombie. The night of September 22nd, 2019, Melanie would recall staying up late at night to record a podcast at Lori's house. The last picture ever taken of JJ alive was him sitting on the couch that night wearing those red pajamas. And at around 10.30, Melanie would remember watching Alex carry JJ upstairs. He was wearing red pajamas. The next morning, Lori would tell Melanie that JJ had an episode that he climbed on the cabinets in the fridge. He knocked over a picture of Jesus Christ. But Lori said that her brother had taken care of him. What did you do during the morning of September 23rd, 2019? Upon awakening, I got ready for the day and came downstairs, had a brief conversation with Lori Vallow, and then got into the truck with David, and we drove off to Pocatello. Uh, what did you speak about with Ms. Vallow that morning? She shared with David and I that uh, JJ was acting with a lot of energy and um, she recalled um, him climbing upon the refrigerator, knocking a picture down of Jesus, she said, and then climbing up upon the cabinets. And did you see JJ that morning? No. Do you know if he was in the house that morning? No. Okay. Do you have any, uh, any idea of where he was that morning? No. It's believed that J.J. went missing that night. And like Tylee, Lori never filed a missing persons report. But there was another person who Chad and Lori had determined was a zombie. Tammy, Chad's wife. On October 9th, Tammy Daybell, Chad's wife, would report that a masked man had shot at her with what she believed was a paintball gun. Later, according to court documents, it was revealed that Alex Cox had attempted to shoot and kill Tammy that day, but failed in his attempt to murder Chad Daybell's wife. Thirteen days later, on October 19th, Tammy died. The medical examiner ruled her death as natural, even though she was only 49 years old. Apparently, Chad had told authorities that she had gone to bed with a bad cough and never woke up. Chad would say that he didn't want an autopsy performed. By this time, authorities in Arizona were looking into Charles' death, and they reached out to the Idaho police about Tammy's death. They couldn't understand why an autopsy hadn't been performed. The family did not want an autopsy, so they just went straight to the funeral home, and the family refused an autopsy. Um, and the family said they don't want an autopsy, therefore the coroner just signed off then and there, and then the funeral home took Ms. Daybell. Is that how that works? Yes, that, that's pretty much how it works. As Tammy's beneficiary, Chad received at least $430,000 in life insurance. Kay Woodcock and her husband Larry were worried about J.J. In fact, they hadn't stopped worrying about him since Charles had been fatally shot by Lori's brother in self-defense, which they didn't believe. The Woodcocks had no idea that Tylee had gone missing, that no one had seen J.J. since September 22nd, that Tammy Daybell had died, 
and that Lori and Chad were now getting married. We hired a private investigator in October because we had not heard from JJ since August 10. We heard that Lori had left the state with JJ and we had no idea where she was. Okay. Or he was. On November 5th, a couple weeks after Tammy had died, Lori and Chad would get married in Hawaii. In an interview with Nate Eaton, Melanie would reveal how she found out that Tammy, Chad's wife and mother of their five children, had died suddenly. Uh, someone texted me, a friend, not any you know person that was associated close, but just a friend. She said, hey, just want to let you know she passed on. And then she, I said, how did you find out? She said, Facebook. What did you think when you saw that she had died? I thought, oh my gosh, she died. That's what they said was going to happen. I wonder what happened. So did you think it was part of the plan? I didn't know how they did it, but I knew it was part of the plan that, that she was supposed to pass away. I mean, other people knew she was supposed to pass away because, you know, Chad knew this information for, you know, quite a, quite a while. So she passes away in October. What did you think when you found out Chad and Lori click, quickly fled to Hawaii? Didn't, didn't you find out because she sent you their wedding photos on your email? I knew um, that they were going to be married like as soon as she passed away. I mean, I knew that. And you're kind of questioning it if, as to, you know, this is odd, she's here. It is odd. It's odd. The whole thing is odd. When she did die, though, and they went to Hawaii and got married so quickly, did you, did you question that or was that just part of the plan? Well, that was part of their plan. Their whole goal was to get together because, you know, they expressed to me many times that Tammy would be okay with this as she passed on. She may not remember it now, but as she passed on, she had a mission to fulfill on that side. And so um, he felt that that was, they felt, they both felt that that was where she was supposed to go. She was move on and, and fulfill her mission. So it didn't seem unusual to either one of them that, you know, she passed on because that was the plan is that they were going to be together. Kay Woodcock, Charles' sister, didn't know anything about the wedding, but she was worried about J.J.'s well-being. Through a private investigator, she knew that he was in Idaho, and she called the police on November 25th, asking them to do a welfare check on J.J., explaining that she hadn't spoken to him in months. Rexburg police detective Ray Hermosillo was sent to Lori's condo that day to do the welfare check. November 26, 2019, myself and Detective Dave Hope went to 565 Pioneer 175, which was Lori Bellow's residence. Outside the garage area, we had located Alex Cox and Chad Daybell, who were unloading a pickup truck. I walked up to Alex and I asked Alex if Lori was home. He told me she wasn't home. I then asked Alex if he knew where JJ was at. We were there to do a welfare check on JJ. Um, at that point, Alex got a blank look on his face, kind of a, a frightened look, looked over at Chad Daybell, who was on the other side of the pickup truck. Chad then looked at Alex, and they both kind of just looked at each other and didn't answer my question initially. What did you think about that conduct? It raised some red flags just based on their the way they acted with that question. I, I then again asked Alex if he knew where JJ was at, and he stated that JJ was with Kay in Louisiana. What did you think of that response? I told Alex that wasn't likely because Kay was the one who called in for the welfare check. When officers questioned Chad... He downplayed his relationship with Lori, acting like he barely knew her. I asked him how he knew Lori Vallow, and he stated that he hardly knew her, that he had only met her a couple of times. Was there anything suspicious to you about that response? There was. We knew that Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell had been married two weeks prior to my contact with him. I asked Chad for her phone number, um, and he stated that he didn't know what it was. Uh, I again asked Chad Daybell for Lori's phone number because I didn't believe that he did not know it. Um, and at that time, he finally gave me Lori's phone number. Did he give you a reason why he hadn't given it originally? He said that he felt like I was accusing him of something, and that's why he didn't give it to me. What did you do at this point in your investigation? I broke contact with Mr. Daybell. He was able to drive off. And at that point, I called Lieutenant Ron Ball and... And I told him that there was something going on with the whereabouts of JJ based on the deception, their, the way they, they looked at each other, their non-evasive answers, their lies. I felt there was something more going on. Meantime, Chad had already contacted Melanie after he was questioned by police, and he asked her not to answer the phone when police called. 
He let me know that the police were over at Lori Vallow's home in Rexburg and that um, they were inquiring about where JJ was and that she was going to tell the police that JJ was with me. Okay, how did you respond? In shock, after the shock, I said, JJ's not at Kay's house. And how did Mr. Daybell respond to that? He said no. Melanie was confused, so when the police called, she didn't answer. A couple hours later, Lori called with a request. He said, just want to let you know everything's fine. She was upbeat, cheery, acting like nothing was wrong. Um, she told me that the police had been there asking for JJ and that she told the police that I had JJ, that I was at a movie called Frozen, that she asked me just to pick up my phone and take a picture, a random picture of kids running around. Lori wanted Melanie to send the picture with random kids to the police, as if this would fulfill their proof-of-life request. At first, Melanie would confirm Lori's story. She would tell them that J.J. had been with her. She'd been led to believe by Lori and Chad that they were protecting J.J. from Kay Woodcock, who was trying to kidnap him. On November 27th, the Rexford police would return to Lori's home with a search warrant in hand. But by then, Chad and Lori were already in the wind. The two of them had secreted away to Hawaii. And what began as a missing persons report on a little boy, J.J., would lead authorities to ask where was Tylee, who wasn't enrolled at BYU, as Lori had claimed. She was missing too. On December 6th, Melanie contacted the Rexburg police and told them how Chad and Lori had asked her to lie and tell them that J.J. was with her when he wasn't. A couple of days later, she would record a 20-minute conversation I recorded a conversation with Chad and Lori on Chad Daybell's phone, about 21-minute conversation. And that conversation was about where was JJ. The conversation talked about why did you tell the police that I had JJ when I did not. I also explained to her my concern for her, for her salvation and Chad's and that they had been very deceived. And I also wanted to make sure that the police knew that I did not have anything to do with this. During this call, Lori says some damning statements, that she knows exactly where JJ is and that he's safe and happy. I just needed to have somebody that I, so I wouldn't have to tell them where he really was because they were going to tell Kay where he is. Oh, uh, yeah. So is it, do you think it's like your family or, you know, like your family, your dad or, you know, those well, my people? my family. Well, not my whole family, but as you know, most of my family is working against me and yeah. with her, basically. Yeah. Is JJ safe? He is safe and happy. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Are you afraid of anything? Like, are you afraid to tell me that you're just afraid that he, um, that I could be in danger? Like, you're, you know, like, I don't, like, if I knew... Like, how could that hurt me? I don't understand how that could hurt me if I knew where he was. Well, I'm just not telling anybody so that nobody has to say where he is or get questioned to where he is so I can keep him as safe as possible. The call ends in a tit-for-tat, sort of a scripture showdown. No, God knows it, and I will never deny it. For my soul would be at stake if I did. So you can say it didn't happen to me, Mel, but if I say it, then I am accountable. You didn't witness it, okay, but, but I did. But your behaviors I, is not, okay, I understand that's what you, you believe you saw, but this is the thing, as I see, is that your behavior is not one of somebody Ever of St. Christ. Your behavior, your behavior. What? Never had any idea that you would be the person of all people to track me. I cannot believe I am that. asking questions. And I am concerned for you. That is what somebody does when they care. You don't sound like you're concerned. You sound like you're accusatory. You do not sound concerned. You sound pissed off. I'm not. I am very, I am troubled. Maybe that's the better word. Troubled. Because these things, like you being with Chad before he's even divorced, is unusual behavior for a person that sees Jesus Christ. I was never with him and he was never divorced. Honey, I've seen you guys together. Oh, oh, so I haven't ever seen you with, I've never seen you with Chad kiss him and walk around 
the track at BYU with him. I never saw that. You see, hey, you're the one that's feeling guilty about being with someone before they were divorced. Oh, honey. Melanie would turn that recording over to the police. As investigators dug deeper into Lori and Chad Daybell, it became clear that Tammy's death was possibly linked to Lori's missing children, that she didn't die by natural causes at all, that she'd been the victim of foul play. Tammy's body would be exhumed on December 11th. By then, according to Alex Cox's wife, Alex had been despondent because his sister and Chad had abandoned him. But after hearing of Tammy's body being exhumed, That night, Alex would tell his wife that he believed he was going to be Lori and Chad's fall guy. The next day, on December 12th, Alex was found dead. According to the medical examiner, he had died from blood clots in his lungs. There was no evidence of foul play. On December 21st, police would officially rule Lori and Chad as persons of interest in J.J. and Tylee's disappearance. What you're hearing is background noise, footage taken on January 3rd, 2020. Investigators have served a search warrant at Chad Daybell's home in Rexburg, Idaho. A twisted wickedness has led Idaho investigators to this spot, an unassuming home next to a busy road. You can hear the cars and trucks whiz by as investigators search inside the home for clues, anything to help them find Tylee and JJ, who've been missing since September. On that frigid January, there were inches of snow on the ground at Chad Daybell's residence. But despite the biting cold, a huge media presence takes in the activity across the street. The nation has been gripped by the story for weeks, hoping and praying the children would be found safe and sound. Here's Kay Woodcock. When we went in January of 2020, the media had learned of the story of the the kids missing and we reached out and every media outlet was all over this and we talked to every outlet we could. Um, We appeared on uh, talk shows. We did everything we could to raise awareness for the kids missing. But it's hard to keep up hope especially as the cameras capture a cluster of officers armed with a cache of metal detectors, shovels, and rakes. They begin to scratch and then hack at the frozen ground. Nonverbal cues about exactly where they believe Tylee and JJ could be, which is about as far away as a child can be from being safe and happy, as Lori claimed. That day, investigators would remove 43 items, including computers, cell phones, journals, documents, and medications. These items would be sent to the FBI lab for analysis, but there was no sign of Tylee and JJ. In most cases, when children go missing, their parents make an appeal to the public through the media. It's gut-wrenching to watch these desperate and grief-stricken parents begging for the safe return of their children. But in this case, Tylee's father had passed away in 2018. His cause of death was ruled a heart attack. And JJ's father, Charles Vallow, was shot and killed by Lori's brother, Alex. But the children's mother, Lori, alive and well, was nowhere to be found. People just couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that this mother was not making an appeal to find her children. But that would change. A few weeks later, law enforcement would track down Lori and Chad in Hawaii. And by that time, the question, Lori, where are your children, had turned into a battle cry across the world. Where are your kids? No comment? They've been missing for four months. You have nothing to say? You're over here in Hawaii? Where are your children? Yeah, why don't you just give us a comment? Just tell us where they are. Chad, where are Lori's kids? What happened to Tammy, Chad? Can you tell us what happened to Tammy? Why have you guys been in Hawaii for so long? Listen, just tell people what's happening. There's people around the country praying for your children, praying for you guys. Why don't you give us answers? That's great. That's great. That's great that they're praying for you, praying for your kids, what? You have nothing to say? Did you do something to your children? Are your children still alive? That's a simple question. I've got three kids of my own. I can tell you every minute where my kids are at. Where are your children? A question that Lori refused to answer. What kind of monster would withhold such information? It seemed incomprehensible. 
But that didn't mean the investigators had given up on the search. On January 25, 2020, police would serve Lori with paperwork. Basically, she had five days to physically produce her children. When she didn't, Lori would be arrested in Hawaii on two felony counts of desertion and non-support of dependent children and misdemeanor charges of resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime, and contempt. Lori would be extradited back to Idaho, and while she was in prison and Chad was back in Idaho, both of them continued to refuse to say where JJ and Tylee were. On June 9, 2020, Rexburg police and the FBI would execute a second search warrant at Chad Daybell's residence. Detective Rex Hermesio was there that day. On June 9th, we got to Chad Daybell's residence at approximately 7 in the morning. We went and made contact, knocked on the front door. Chad Daybell's son, Mark, answered the door. He had a bowl of cereal in his hand. He was eating cereal. It was early in the morning. And we informed Mark why we were there and that we needed to speak with Chad Daybell. Mark told us that his dad, Chad, was still asleep uh, and directed us to Chad's room, uh, which is uh, it's like a loft room that was above the garage area. So he walked us through the house and to the stairwell of Chad's room. At that point, his children stated they were going to go, and Chad stated he didn't know whether he was going to go or not, but asked to go make a phone call out in his vehicle that was parked in the driveway. At that time, the children were allowed to leave. Uh, we walked outside in the front yard area. Chad got into the driver's seat of a vehicle that was backed into the driveway. He was on the phone talking. Uh, in the meantime, there were the FBI ERT team, the evidence recovery team, arrived on scene along with other detectives now that the scene was safe to arrive um, and they began marking off different areas in the backyard. The detective observed Chad's behavior that while in his vehicle on the phone he kept looking over his shoulder toward a tree and a pond in an area of the property. Investigators would begin digging around the pond where Chad was nervously looking as they began removing the top layer of soil, it began to expose three large white rocks. Uh, and at that point, uh, there was a strong odor of, through my training experience, that was a decomposing body. Is that something you've smelled before? Unfortunately, yes. They removed the rocks and a layer of thin wood paneling and continued painstakingly removing the soil. We began to see a black, round uh, object starting to protrude through the dirt. Um, just, just a few inches deep. It, it wasn't very deep at all before we saw the, the, the round object. It appeared, looking at it, it appeared to be like a, a texture of a plastic bag. They scraped away some more soil uh, around that round object, and it began to take the shape of the crown of, it looked like the crown of a head protruding through the dirt. They continued to dig around that, what we started to call the burial site, and eventually exposed uh, what appeared to be a small body wrapped in black plastic. It was JJ. A slit was made in the white plastic, and eventually we were able to see that it looked like brown human hair. At that point, we were then told that Chad Daybell was uh, leaving his daughter's residence at a high rate of speed. His daughter lives Caddy Corner to his residence. So we were told he was leaving at a high rate of speed. And at that time, uh, Chad Daybell was pulled over and taken into custody. He was charged that day with two counts of destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence. After arresting Chad, they began the meticulous work of excavating the fire pit with care. And that's where they would find Tylee. What did you find in that spot? Eventually, we uncovered bits and pieces of Tylee, who we assumed was Tylee, that had been burned. Uh, there were pieces of bone, like I said, charred, charred flesh. Just the best I can describe is just globs of, of, of flesh that were falling apart. So today, uh, the Rexburg Police Department, as well as the uh, 
Fremont County Sheriff's Department and the FBI uh, conducted a search warrant in the 200 block of North 1900 East in uh, Fremont County. Uh, it's also the residence of uh, Chad Daybell, uh, that's a Fremont County resident. Um, during the search of the property, uh, investigators uh, discovered um, what appeared to be unidentified human remains uh, and an autopsy will be uh, conducted. Um, shortly after the remains were discovered, uh, Chad Daybell was taken into custody and booked into the Fremont County Jail. Here's Larry Woodcock, JJ's grandfather, speaking at a candlelight vigil in front of Chad Daybell's home after the grim news was revealed. This has torn up so many people. It's destroyed people. It's torn up whole homes, and there's no need for this. I'm not coming in hostility in any way. I come with trying to be the peacemaker, and that's all I want. I just want to be a peacemaker. I want, let's all get along here. And I know it's an old cliche, but it's, it's so true. This is not about hatred. This is about mending fences, and that's all I want to do. I'm not worried about the, the, the people that are responsible for this. The judicial system will take care of that. And anybody else that was involved that needs, you know, part of it. But at this point, my job is not hatred. My job is to come here and, and do what I can do to mend fences. Lori and Chad would be charged with the murders of Tylee and JJ. Chad would also be charged with the murder of Tammy Daybell, and Lori would be charged as a co-conspirator in her murder. Both would plead not guilty to all charges. As the state of Idaho built its case against Lori and Chad, back in Arizona, Charles's death would be reclassified as a homicide. It was believed that Alex had murdered Charles for Lori, an Arizona grand jury would indict Lori for conspiracy to commit murder in the death of her husband, Charles Vallow. These proceedings were put on hold while Lori was facing charges in Idaho. It would be determined that Lori and Chad would have separate trials. And Lori was up first. Her trial began in April of 2023, where it would be revealed that her DNA and her brother Alex's fingerprints would be found at the crime scene. JJ's cause of death was asphyxiation. The medical examiner was unable to determine Tylee's cause of death due to the condition of her remains. The details revealed at the trial would be devastating. The unanswered question of where are your children had been replaced with why? Why did you do this to your children? A gut-wrenching phone call from Lori's sister to her in jail seems to sum up many people's feelings on the case and would have the jury in tears. We would have taken them. We would have taken care of them. You could have gone home and done anything you wanted. That's what you think? I don't know what to think. None of us do. You haven't told us anything. We believed you. We stood up for you. I cannot. I would love to. You caught me After seven hours of deliberation, a jury would find Lori guilty on all charges, and on July 31st, she would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In a statement, Lori would quote scripture and say that her dead children approved of her. Chad Daybell's trial is scheduled for April of 2024. 
The Murder Chronicles is a pie-in-the-sky production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We are produced by Brandon Morgan and myself, music by Soundstripe. For Pie in the Sky Media, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.